All right, John went on vacation to the Middle East uh, with his family, and he also brought along his mother-in-law. And uh, while they were in Jerusalem, uh, the mother-in-law suddenly died. And with a death certificate in hand, John went to the American consulate to make arrangements to have the body flown back to the United States for a proper burial. The council, after hearing the death of the mother-in-law, told John that sending a body back to the United States could be very expensive and could cost as much as $8,000. And the council had told him, in most cases, the persons responsible for the remains of the loved one decide to actually bury the body in Jerusalem, in Israel, because it only cost $500. And so John thought about it for a minute or two, and then he said, I don't care how much it costs. I want to send the body back to the United States. That's what I want to do. The council, after hearing John's reply, said, boy, you must have really loved your mother-in-law very much, considering the difference in price. John said, no, no, that's not really it. You see, I know of a case many years ago of a person buried here in Jerusalem, and on the third day he rose again from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. Well, this morning is Resurrection Sunday, and that means there's real hope. Lord, I just thank you for the gift of humor. And I thank you for the opportunity to talk on this topic, the greatest topic you could speak on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now I just ask, Holy Spirit, as much as you're manifest, I even ask that you would become even more manifest, that you would exalt Jesus and people would know that he truly is alive and therefore there is real hope. Fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. Truly, let me speak your words, your words of hope. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. 1492, Christopher Columbus set sail from Spain to see what was out there. Many thought Columbus would sail right off the earth. Tim, you can show the picture. Up until that time, Spain's national motto was ne plus ultra, which meant there is nothing, nothing beyond here. You see, geographically speaking, Spain was about as far as any traveler was willing or dared to go. Then Columbus sailed right off the map, and he discovered that there was a whole another world out there. So you know what Spain did? They revised their motto, plus ultra, which means there is something beyond here. On that first Good Friday, the disciples of Jesus were saying, nay, plus ultra. There is nothing, there is nothing beyond here. You see, they had put all of their hopes in one basket, and that basket was Jesus. They had left their jobs, cut ties from family members, endured the ridicule and the threats from the religious leaders. Why? Because they were riding on, they believed, the coattails of the future. That came all crashing down, though, on that first Good Friday on a hill called the Place of the Skull. Tim put up the picture. Can you imagine the hopelessness as the disciples saw that and what they felt? Nay plus ultra, no hope. No hope beyond here. Perhaps this morning you came in here thinking, nay plus ultra, there is no hope for me. No hope beyond my present circumstances. My marriage is in a shambles. There are unpaid bills. I'm about to lose my job. My kids are a mess. Peeling paint leaks everywhere. Leaky faucets, a leaky roof, a leaky bank account. And more than this, I am fearful about today and even more fearful of what the future might bring. It all seems just so hopeless. I want you to know, though, that there was no one 
more hopeless on that first Easter Sunday than a person by the name of Thomas. In fact, Thomas is very famous for that statement he made in the Gospel of John in chapter 20 and verse 25. Tim, can you put it up? I won't believe it. I won't believe it. Thomas said that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wounds in his side. Now before we pack that, unpack that statement a little bit, one thing is certain, Thomas was there on that fateful Friday. He saw Jesus scourged within an inch of his life. Him, you can put that up. He saw the nails driven into Jesus' hands. He saw that Roman soldier thrust that spear into Jesus' side. And then Thomas saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take that limp body of Jesus off that cross and lay that body on that cold slab in the tomb. And they saw them roll the stone over the mouth of that tomb. You know, most, sim- most of us simply cannot imagine, I can't imagine the despair that Thomas was feeling on that Good Friday, on that first Good Friday. You see, Thomas had given up everything. I want you to think about this now. Thomas had given up everything to follow Jesus. He gave up his job, his family, his friends. Thomas put all of his be- eggs in one basket. He put them in the Jesus basket. And now there was nothing. Jesus was dead. His dreams were crushed. And the only thing he had left was the deep pit of darkness and despair and hopelessness. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? So when the other ten disciples said to Thomas, Thomas, we've seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. You know, you can't really blame Thomas for being skeptical. Now, I want you to know that Thomas's doubt, his skepticism, wasn't the skepticism of an atheist. You know, atheists are kind of interesting. Atheists say that they know that there is no God. I love when an atheist tells me, I know that there is no God. I'll say, really? Then you must be God. And they'll go, well, what do you mean? Well, I say, you must be omniscient. The only way you could know that there is no God is that you have searched every inch of this present universe. You have explored every corner, every dimension that is known, at least at this point, and you know for a fact that there is no God other than the omniscient you. Are you omniscient? Well, no, I'm not omniscient. And then I'll go to, well, then you're not really an atheist. You're an agnostic. Now, the question is, are you a hard agnostic or are you a soft agnostic? And they'll go, well, what's the difference? Well, you see, a hard agnostic, that means you're close to the facts. You're just not interested in the truth. You're just a completely closed person. You've already made up your mind. If you're a soft agnostic, on the other hand, it means that you're open-minded. You're interested in truth. You're interested in the evidence. You're interested in what the facts have. So what are you? Are you a hard agnostic? Are you a soft agnostic? That's what you call loading it up. And of course, nobody wants to appear a closed-minded fool, right? Love that. They'll go, well, I guess I'm a soft agnostic then. And I want you to know that on that first Easter Sunday, Thomas was really a soft agnostic. It's not that his mind was closed. I mean, he just wanted real evidence. He wanted real, solid evidence. You have to understand, this guy wasn't going to have his chain yanked again. He had put everything, he had put everything on the line for Jesus, 
And he wanted absolute verifiable proof, in fact, that Jesus had, in fact, resurrected from the dead. He said, I want to see him with my own eyes. I want to probe those wounds. I want to put my hand into that side wound before I'm going to believe again that Jesus is alive and resurrected from the dead. Now, there are two things that I want you to take away. Two things that I want you to think about on this Resurrection Sunday. First of all, I'm going to want you to note, Jesus does not belittle Thomas. Did you know that? You know, we call him the great doubter as if it's bad or that he was skeptical. I want you to know that Jesus never belittles Thomas for his doubt or his skepticism. In fact, note this in John chapter 20 and verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, can you imagine Thomas at this point? Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You see, please hear me on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Jesus understands that for you to place your faith and trust in him, you need evidence. You need evidence. You see, so many people are confused about what faith really is. As if faith has ontology, it has beingness of its own. It's almost like a substance. That's wrong. Faith has no meaning other than the object. So the question is, do you have good faith or do you have poor faith or bad faith? Good faith means that you are placing your trust in a trustworthy object. If you have bad faith, then you're putting your faith in an object that is not trustworthy. Do you understand that? Everybody has faith. Faith has to do with the object that you're trusting. So let me just give you an example. Not too long ago, I had a speaking engagement in Baltimore. And just for the sake of argument, let's say that when I went to the Southwest ticket counter, the ticket agent says to me, you know... I'm sorry to tell you, Mr. Ray, but your flight has been canceled. All of the 737 MAX class airplanes have been grounded. That includes yours. But I tell him, i got to get to a speaking engagement next morning. So, you know, you, you, you hear the ticket agent on the computer, you know, and she goes, I'm sorry, Mr. Ray. All I can say, I can get you there, ne- you know, tomorrow afternoon. Well, I said, that's never going to do. i got to be there tomorrow morning and speaking. Well, unbeknownst to me, there's this guy behind me, not too far, you know, behind me. He's tall, he's a Texan. And he says to me, you know, partner, I think this is your lucky day. I happen to have a small plane in the hangar over there, and I just happen to be going to Baltimore. Would you like to go with me? I say, sure. And he says, follow me. So I follow him through all these different quarters, and we finally get to the hangar, and there are many planes. And he goes, isn't she a beauty? And I go, well, which one is she? She's the one in the corner there. Now, as I walk closer, I mean, you got to see this plane to believe it. I mean, it looks like the Red Baron flew it, you know, the last time after World War I. I mean, the front propellers on this thing are bent in four different directions. Half the tail is missing. And if you look at the wings closely, the left wing is slightly higher than the right wing. And I say, when's the last time you flew this thing? And the Texan goes, don't worry about it, Mac, just have faith. Now, if I hop on that plane, does that show a lot of faith? No, it shows a lot of stupidity. (laughs) See, that's not faith. 
Because you see, that plane is not a trustworthy object. Do you understand that? But Jesus was showing Thomas, he was giving him real evidence that he is a trustworthy object to place his faith and trust in. He is alive, Thomas. I want you to know that true faith, true biblical faith, is never just taking a leap off a cliff. You know, I hear people say, well, I'm just taking a leap into the dark. Well, that's stupid. That is absolutely stupid. And Jesus never asked you to do that. He doesn't ask me to do that. He proves that he is, in fact, a trustworthy object through the evidence that he gives. Now, the second thing I want you to know this Resurrection Sundays. I want you to note the response of Thomas to the evidence. Tim, can you put up John chapter 20 and verse 28? He says, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Now, I think that's interesting. You see, Thomas got the facts, he got the evidence, and he realized the only right thing to do was to surrender himself to the King of Kings, and to the Lord of Lords. He really realized, oh, I now get it. What happened on Friday wasn't bad, it was good. Jesus was dying for me. He was dying for you, and you, and you, and you, and me. And he resurrected from the dead on Sunday, proving that his sacrifice was sufficient. Sufficient to cover you, anything that you've done, anything that I've done. And Thomas completely surrenders himself to it. Now, I want you to realize something. Thomas did have a choice. He could have said, nah, nah, not falling for that one, not falling for that cheap parlor trick. I've given myself once to Jesus, not again. I'm going to only trust in good old Thomas. You ever said that? You're just going to trust in good old you? You know, I know some of you are thinking, come on, how could, how could you possibly see something so evidential as Thomas did and then deny it and then reject it? Well, let me tell you, people do reject the obvious. Did you know that? Let me just refer you to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is kind of an interesting chapter. There we have a man who's been dead for four days. That's significant because the Jews recognize that someone, if they've been dead for four days, they're dead. You're not dead after three, but you're dead after four. And Jesus goes to that tomb of that dead man. You know his name? Lazarus. That's right, Lazarus. He walks to that tomb. By now the body is smelling. Can you imagine the stench? And he says, I want you to roll away the stone. And they go, no, no. I mean, you can't imagine the number of people that were there. And you know who else was there? The religious leaders. Many of the religious leaders were there. And it was just an electric moment. And Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth! Man, can you imagine that pregnant moment? And all of a sudden, Lazarus comes walking out. Now, what would your response have been? Well, here's the amazing thing. Like I said, some of the religious leaders were there and listened to what their response was. 
Can you put it up? John chapter 12. There it is in verses 9 through 11. Here's what some of the religious leaders said. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Can you believe what their response is? Their response is, now we've got to kill Lazarus also. No, these religious leaders see A dead man. They see a dead man come alive. Their response is to reject what their eyes are seeing. You say, how is that possible? Let me tell you something. I've been in the pastorate over 30 years, and I have seen people reject real evidence, real facts, because it doesn't suit them. No. I have seen people reject absolute, real evidence, real proof, real facts, because you see it doesn't suit their lifestyle. It doesn't suit what they want. See, the religious leaders didn't want Jesus alive and they didn't want Lazarus alive because Jesus was messing up their life. And a lot of times people reject Jesus, not because of the facts, but because they see that he's going to mess up their lives. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul writes this stunning statement, these stunning verses in Romans chapter 1. Can you put them up, Tim? But God shows his anger from heaven against us, against all sinful, wicked people. Now watch this. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can already see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to, now watch this, they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds become dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they become utter fools. You know, I have never been an atheist. Even though I grew up in a professional home, I was never an atheist. I mean, you look, here's, here's what Paul is saying. You want facts, you want proof about God. Look out there, it screams God. Look at the design, look at the intelligence, look at the creativity. Are you kidding me that that happened by a quirk of chance? Not a chance. Not a chance. How could you possibly, Paul said, refuse the obvious fact that there is an intelligent designer out there, that there is a God out there. You have to shut your mind off to the truth. You know, it's interesting. I'm very interested in debates between, obviously, you know, Christians and atheists. One of my favorite guys to listen to is Richard Dawkins. You ever heard of Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is probably the foremost atheist today. Not too long ago, Dawkins made a very interesting statement. And he was talking to a group of evolutionists, and he said this to him. He said, now, pay attention. Pay attention. Because what you see out there looks like design. And you have to ignore. You have to ignore that it really is designed. No, because see, evolutionists say it happened by a quirk of chance. And Dawkins recognizes that there's design everywhere. The proof is, is that it's designed. And Dawkins said, you got to ignore that. you got to ignore that. It had to happen by chance. 
That's how powerful the evidence is. And see, don't, don't do that this morning. Don't shut, I'm, I'm, I'm begging with you. Don't shut your mind off from the facts, from the truth. Well, let me challenge us this morning. I couldn't think of a better way to end than with one of my heroes of the faith, Billy Graham. Billy Graham just recently died, but when you see that picture, he was around 94 years old. And Billy Graham, when he was 94 years old, the political leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, they invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to honor him at a luncheon. Graham hesitated to accept the invitation because, you see, he was struggling with Parkinson's disease. One of the political leaders of Charlotte said, Billy, we don't expect a major address. Just come, let us honor you. And Graham finally agreed. After many wonderful things were said about Billy Graham, Dr. Graham stepped up to the rostrum like this. He looked out at the audience for just a moment. And then he began to speak, and he said this. Today, I am reminded of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honored by Time Magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached into his trouser pockets. It wasn't there. He looked in his briefcase, but he couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure that you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor then continued down the aisle, punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and he saw the great physicist down on his knees and his hands looking under the seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure that you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I am going. (laughs) Billy Graham then said, see the suit I am wearing? It's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious, so I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and on one more occasion. Do you know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I will be buried. Now, when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, but I also know where I am going. Then Graham ended his talk by saying this. Life without Jesus is like an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. You see, there is no point to life. There is absolutely no point to life. There is no hope that the best is yet to come for anyone in here unless Jesus resurrected from the dead and you put your faith and trust in him. Well, I know what some of you are saying right now. You're saying, why should I trust him? Why should I place my faith and trust in Jesus? What evidence is there? What's interesting, you know, Jesus said these words to Thomas in chapter 20 and verse 29. Jesus then told Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
Do you know the rest of the story? Do you know the rest of Thomas's life? History records this about Thomas. You might find this interesting. History records that Thomas actually went to India, and there he began to in- evangelize the Indians. In fact, he planted hundreds of churches in India. And one day Thomas was evangelizing the Indians, and a group of Hindus surrounded him, and they demanded that he deny his faith in Jesus Christ. And the one-time great skeptic responded by saying, I will never ever renounce Christ. The crowd became enraged. They threw Thomas down to the ground, and then they took a stake and they drove it through his body. I have a question for you. What could cause this once great skeptic, this once great doubter Thomas, to become a person of such incredible faith in Jesus Christ that he would give up his life and he would waste his life on Jesus? There can only be one rational answer, that he indeed did touch those wounds in his hand. He probed that side wound. He saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he no longer lived in fear. Isn't that something? And I want to ask you, will you, have you trusted, and will you trust in the evidence of, G, of, of Thomas and his life and how he ended his life. Because if you do, if you can, by faith, latch on to the evidence, then you will know real hope. You will walk out of here knowing real hope. And we started out with a video of empty. You know, that's what Easter's all about. That's what Resurrection Sunday's about. You don't have to be empty. You can be alive if you'll just surrender like Thomas did to the one who is alive and give your life to him. You can be alive and experience that life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never come to a point where you recognize that he loves you and died for you, please, we'll have people up here. We'd love to pray with you. Be the best Resurrection Sunday ever for you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And I pray you'll be alive, truly alive in your heart, because he lives in you. God bless you and take care.